morning, everybody. My name is DJ, one of the pastors here. Do we have any kids here this morning? Raise your hand if you're a kid. Everybody say, good morning, children. Everybody say, get out of here, children. Go to your children's ministry. Have a great time. Age five through grade five. We love you guys. We're so thankful for Miss Brandy and all of our teachers and volunteers. I did, uh, I did want to continue in prayer for a moment. Um, I'm sure many of you have been tracking with uh, the news out of Syria and Turkey this week. And uh, as of this morning, I believe the death toll was something like 28,000 people uh, had died in the earthquake uh, this past week, which is just a, a hard number to even wrap your mind around. Um, these are places of the world where there are many Christians. It can be a difficult place to be a Christian in these places. Um, and in times like this, it's always uh, a unique opportunity for the love of Christ to shine as, uh, as the church does what the church does in these sorts of situations. So let's uh, take a moment and pray for brothers and sisters in Syria and Turkey, and um, as well as uh, Islamic brothers and sisters and uh, of other faith, we want to bless them as well and pray for them as they, as they suffer and go through this traumatic experience. Would you pray with me this morning? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we uh, just lift up to you this area of the world, um, and uh, it's hard to imagine what that would be like to live through that, um, that, that level of trauma, that level of crisis, and um, we know that there are believers uh, in these places, and we just ask, God, that your spirit would fill them and uh, bless them uh, as they seek to serve and care uh, for those who are suffering, I know that there's still ongoing rescue work. We pray for those who are doing that work, God. We pray for all the, all the agencies that are going to show up to help care for it, from Red Cross to um, any number of agencies like that, Lord, that, um, yeah, you would continue to, to work there and bless that. We pray for the families who are grieving um, today, uh, that they would grieve with you, uh, that they would feel your presence and your hope. And, Lord, that you would care for these individuals. We know that there are many other situations similar to that. Uh, trauma, sufferings, uh, car crashes, difficult situations going on um, here in our area as well. Uh, and all over the earth, we live in a broken world. Um, and so help us as followers of Jesus to experience your love, to walk with you, and, and to be a light in the midst of those places and times. And to suffer as you suffered. To, to share in the fellowship of sufferings of Jesus Christ. Um, so we bless our brothers and sisters who are going through this, and we pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are uh, going through a, a new series here called We Believe. And the last two weeks I have been talking about we believe in the Word of God in its threefold uh, form. And so I've talked about it from the standpoint of God's word comes to us in three ways. This isn't my idea. This is uh, a way that theologians have talked about the word of God uh, throughout church history. Um, but the word of God is always and first who? Jesus. In the beginning was the word. Um, there was a time before the Bible existed. There was a time before this document, this collection of, of uh, books was put together. But the word of God pre-existed that time when this didn't exist. So the word of God is eternal. 
Um, the word of God is also the written word of God, the scripture. Um, Jesus has revealed himself, God has revealed himself to us through his written word. And so this is the standard by how which we know the living God. Our ideas of who God is, it's not good enough for us to try to come up with them on our own. There's no philosophy, there's no apologetics, there's no uh, mode of inquiry by which humans can discover God. God has, and this was the word we talked about last week, apocalypsed himself to us. Does anyone remember what the word apocalypse in Greek actually means? Reveal or uncover. So the book of Revelation starts with this phrase, this is the apocalypse, this is the uncovering, this is the revealing of Jesus Christ. And so God has revealed himself most perfectly and most purely through himself, which is Jesus, through his son, he is the image, as it says in Colossians 1, image of the invisible God. So God's word comes to us derivatively in the written form in the scriptures, and it also comes to us in relationship, and that's through the church. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when I, when I had a little, uh, I, I don't know, a little tangent where I said there's no such thing as a Christian song? Um, a song can't be Christian, only a person can be a Christian. A chair can't be a Christian, only a person who's in the image of God, being formed deeper into the image of God. That's what it means to be a Christian. So there is one thing besides a person that can be Christian, and that's a church, because a church is where there's two people. So two Christians can be Christian together, and that's a church. That's, a, that's what a church is. So all of this has been building uh, towards what I'm going to talk about next week when I talk about the Trinity and what the Trinity is. But today we're talking about authority. Now, in our, in our culture, so this is kind of where we've been, the threefold word of God, the word of God comes to us in the person of Jesus, the written word, and the church, uh, where the word of God is dwelling among his people. That can happen through a sermon, it can happen through prayer, it can happen through a conversation one-on-one. -on -one. It's, it's happening where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, and the word of God dwells there, richly implanted among them. That's the concept of the threefold word of God. So in our culture... Um, authority is a dirty word. Authority is a, a yucky word. Um, I don't know that that has always been the case. I think uh, prior to Vietnam, uh, probably authority had a much healthier uh, connotation than it does today. There's been a lot of sociological and uh, philosophical work that's been done exploring why is it that we are so uh, allergic to authority. Do you like the word authority? No, I'm seeing some shaking heads. Some people are nodding their heads. Yes, um, there could be a generational component here, right? Uh, the younger you are, <laughs> maybe the more restrictive authority feels. Uh, maybe the older you are, the more there's a respect for we need rules, we need, we need order, or else everything is just chaos. What's been happening, especially in my lifetime over the last 20 years, is that with the proliferation of the internet and this information age we're in and social media, um, there is an undercutting of authority that's happening across the board. And this isn't on you know, one side of the poli political spectrum, it's on every side. So think about even the last couple of years, um, how many don't raise your hand, but think about this. Um, how many people mistrust 
the authority of medical experts over the last couple years. Okay, so that's one side of the political spectrum. Think about on another side of the political spectrum, how many people mistrust the authority of police? So this, this isn't a political issue. This is a cultural issue that authority has had its legs cut out from under it. And part of, part of the reason, I'll just give a silly example. Let's say I go to my doctor, I'm having uh, intestinal issues or stomach issues or something like that, and I go to my doctor, and I tell my doctor what's going on, and he says, well, what are you eating? And I say, well, I, I have uh, bacon for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. And he's like, wow, what do you drink? And I say, well, I live on Diet Coke. And he says, do you eat late at night? And I say, yeah, that's when I have my biggest meal at about 10 o'clock at night. What's he going to say to me? He's going to say, listen, man, <laughs> like, change what you're eating. <laughs> okay, now let's say I don't like that answer. Let's say I'm not a fan of changing my diet. I'm not a fan of changing my lifestyle. All I have to do is pull out this magical box. This magical box, and I can Google, you know, intestinal issues, whatever, and find 20 different answers and say, see, he was wrong. This is the death of authority. This is the death of expertise. Uh, in our culture. And that happens on medical level, it happens on governmental level. I mean, how many people trust journalism anymore? Authority is gone. This is a problem for Christians. This is a major problem for Christians because, I don't know if you know this, but the word Lord means authority. God, I mean, just think about the word God. It means authority. It means someone who's bigger and authoritative and Lord over your life. So if you're going to be someone who seeks to walk with God, who seeks to live with God, then you have to, we have to wrestle with the concept of authority, which is why this morning we're talking about this, that we believe in the authority of the word. Now, this is in the context of the threefold word of God that I've been teaching. We believe in the word of God, and who does that start with? We believe in the authority of who? Jesus. All right. Anybody know who um, this guy is? Raise your hand if you know who this is. Who, who said that? Oh, I knew I could count on Christine. <laughs> Christine Gensler. It is, who is it? It's Tolkien, J.R. Tolkien. And what is he known for? What is J.R. Tolkien known for? Lord of the Rings, right? Everybody's at least heard of Lord of the Rings. Raise your hand if you haven't heard of Lord of the Rings. Okay, everybody's heard of Lord of the Rings. Okay, very good. <laughs> I, just, I don't want to embarrass anybody. Never mind. <laughs> this is J.R.R. Tolkien, one of the great authors of the 20th century, certainly one of the great imaginations in modern history, a man who literally wrote into existence full languages, with full dictionaries, full lexicons that didn't exist all out of his imagination. Um, incredible, incredible person. He was an author. And as an author, he had authority in his story. The stories that he wrote, he was the only person who had authority in those 
stories. Now, there's a whole world of Tolkien studies. You can go get a graduate degree in Tolkien studies. You can spend your life as a Tolkien scholar. Did you know that? Anybody want to do that? There are, there are many. I, yeah, I know a couple of people. Like, I'm, I'm kind of interested in that. <laughs> there, are, there are whole academic uh, classes and books written on the works of Tolkien and the philosophy of Tolkien, the religion of Tolkien, and so on and so forth. Any of those people who dedicate their lives to studying the works of Tolkien, to reading and o- reading it over and over again, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and The Silmarillion and all, all of the unpublished works, they have a sort of expertise, but they don't have any authority because no matter how much you know about The Lord of the Rings, you can't tell that story apart from what's been told by the author. The author is the only one who has authority. Anybody know who this is? Yeah, Colin. It's Gandalf. This handsome chap is uh, Gandalf. And Gandalf, uh, let's, let's ask this question. What kind of authority does Gandalf have? What kind of authority does Gandalf have? What do you think? Let's be interactive. Yeah, Coach, what do you think? He's an angel. Yeah, if you read the Silmarillion, he's sort of like an angelic presence, right? What kind of authority does he have? Kurt? It's true. He was a gray wizard, and he had a little authority, but then he became a white wizard. And how did his authority grow? By what? By laying down his life for his friends, uh, giving up himself. But does he have any authority in your life? Does he have any authority in the real world? Can he change anything? Does he have any volition? Of course not. He's a fiction. He is an image of the author. He is a projected imagination of the author. Gandalf is not real. He's an imagination of Tolkien. He cannot write the story that he's in. He doesn't even know he's in a story because he has no self-awareness because he doesn't actually exist. He's just an idea. He's a great idea. A beautiful idea, but not a real idea in the sense of actually metaphysically having volition and personhood. He can't write the story. He's a character within that story. Now, Tolkien, as an author, could say, I've put myself into the story. Have you ever heard an artist say that before? Like maybe an actor? Like, I really put myself into that character. Have you heard that? Like um, Daniel Day-Lewis is famous, the, the actor Daniel Day-Lewis is famous for, uh, what's that type of acting when you become method? He's a, he's a method actor, and he literally lives as the character for the duration that he's filming the film. So when he filmed Lincoln a number of years ago with, I think it was Spielberg, he lived as Lincoln. <laughs> like literally, from when he woke up to when he went to sleep, he pretended to be Lincoln, even when they weren't filming. He put himself into the character, but not really. Because was he ever Lincoln? No. And whatever amount that Tolkien put himself into Gandalf or Frodo or Aragorn or any of the other characters or any author that does that with any character, do they actually put themselves in the story? No. This is just an imagination and they take personality traits or character traits and they try to fit it in in a way to the narrative. They're not in the story. 
Which is why I think the movie um, Stranger Than Fiction, has anybody seen Stranger Than Fiction? That's a fantastic movie. It's a Will Ferrell movie where an author, uh, Emma, Emma Thompson, uh, writes a story that actually the character comes to life and then they find each other. It's a, it's a really good movie, actually. And it's exploring this sort of meta, meta uh, story. But Gandalf, he can't write the story. He's a, he's a character within the story. What does this have to do with authority? I think it has everything to do with authority. So stick with me. Let's go one more step. Anybody know who this is? It's the morning of old white men on the screen. This is the son of a very famous author. This is uh, Tolkien's son, Christopher. Uh, Christopher Tolkien. The son, Christopher Tolkien, was entrusted with the authorship, the authority of his father to continue to write the story. So the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit were published before Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien died, but he had many unpublished works that he wanted to see completed, so he entrusted his life work to his son, who then continued his father's work in publishing and authorship to then continue to tell the story. Now, Christopher didn't come up with this story. His father did, but who has more authority in the story, Christopher or Gandalf? Christopher, because of the father's entrusted authority in the son. Now, I don't want to push this analogy too far because it will break down. I could have used this, I could have used the analogy of uh, Jane Austen or any author. Um, I could have done Mary Shelley and Frankenstein as, as her creation. But I chose this one because of the relationship of father and son and the authority being entrusted to the son that he would continue the works of his father's creation. Now, as incredible as a writer as J.R.R. Tolkien was, he could not enter his own story as a literary character. We already talked about this. He may have put himself in the story, but he wasn't really in the story. This was his imagination, no matter how grand and vast that imagination was. In fact, if someone enters the story fully that's not reality, what do we call that person? They're, they're mentally unstable, right? So as deep and as lifelike as the characters in The Lord of the Rings are, as compelling as Gandalf is or Aragorn or any other characters, they're just figments of, of J.R. Tolkien's imagination. Gandalf can no sooner exist with a volition of his own than you or I could hold the sun. As tiny as we are on this big spinning rock in the cosmos, as small as that is in the grand scheme of things. We, Gandalf, this fiction of imagination, uh, could not come to life in that way. But God, but God, the author, has the authorship, authority, and ability to not only tell the story, but to enter the story while simultaneously remaining able to author the story. Think about that. That would be like Tolkien actually being able to write Tolkien into the story while also remaining the author and not just a figment of his imagination. That's the gospel. That's what we believe with our faith. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. He's the creator. He's the writer. He's the author. He's the perfecter. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Skipping down to verse 14 of John 1. It says this. Fill in the blank with me. And the word became flesh. Now that word flesh in the Greek is skeno'o. And skeno'o only appears five times in the New Testament. And every time it appears, it's in the writings of John the Apostle. Once here in John, and then four times in the book of Revelation. And the word skeno'o, what it means is to tabernacle. To tabernacle. We don't really have an equivalent of that in modern English. What does it mean to tabernacle? It means to go camping. It means to pitch a tent. The word of God tabernacled. If we would woodenly translate that phrase from Greek into English, it would read, the word of God tabernacled among us. He became flesh and made his tabernacle among us. The author wrote himself into the story. The word became flesh. The logos became person, but continued to be the logos while he was the person. Does that make sense? You checking with me? All right, this is really helpful for me when it comes to thinking about authority because authority is not just about position. Authority is about relationship. Authority is about relationship. Hebrews 12, and I alluded to this earlier, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out, marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now, if you have this memorized in the old NIV or NASB or King James Version, what's the first word in that phrase? He is the author, author and perfecter of our faith. Most of the newest translations do it pioneer because it really means initiator. It doesn't quite mean author in the way author is, uh, means in English, but it still has that idea of someone who starts the story. Jesus is the starter, the initiator, the pioneer, the author, and the completer of the story, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the A and the Z. And he did this. He became flesh for the joy that was set before him, enduring the cross, scorning its shame, and then sitting down at the right hand of the Father. So the author writes himself into the story, becomes part of the story, maintains his authorship and authority within the story, conquers death by laying down his life, and then sits down at the right hand of the Father, all the while remaining authoritative. No one took Jesus' life from him. Jesus laid down his own life. This is John 10. Jesus says, nobody takes my life. I lay it down of my own volition. We believe in the authority of the word of God. It's best to describe the word of God with words and terms that the word of God uses to describe itself. The word of God, and these are words that the Bible uses to describe the word of God. The word of God is alive, it's eternal, it's inspired, it's holy, and it is authoritative. If you look at the English word authority, you'll see that the root word is what? Author. To have authority is to be connected to the author. Jesus is the author 
and perfecter of our faith. If you did a little study on the etymology, that's like how a word becomes a word. On the etymology of the word authority, it is directly from Middle English where the word author developed over time into the modern uh, modern word of authority. So when we're talking about authority, at least in the English language, we're talking about author at the center of it. Now, I don't want to press this too far because that's not the same in Greek, but we are native English speakers. Uh, besides Christine, I don't know of anyone in here who's not a native English speaker. Anybody else who has a different language? Oh, and Samuel. Yeah, sitting together. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Roger. So there's this truth that is incredible that your first language shapes the way you see the world. Think about it. Every language is different, and every language has different words to describe reality. And so our reality is described to us with our internal voice based on the first language that we learn, that we know. So someone who speaks Spanish first will see the world slightly different just based on the language they speak. Someone who speaks French will see the world differently because they have a different dictionary to describe the world. Isn't that fascinating? All right, so we're English speakers primarily, and authority is connected to authorship in our language, and that's actually really helpful in looking at why we describe the word of God as authoritative. In Luke 4, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's very young. This is at the start of his ministry. And it actually happens twice in the same chapter, but I, I chose the second time. In verse 31, it says, He went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had what? Authority. Now, the phrase there, they were amazed at his teaching, um, the, the term words there is logos. They're amazed at how he's teaching because his wisdom, his presence, his words, his logos had actual authority. Now the word here, authority, is where we get our word dynamite. Um, now in the first century they didn't have dynamite, so don't read dynamite back into the text. That didn't exist. But that's, that Greek word developed over time to mean dynamite. Uh, when we talk about authority, there's the ability to actually change reality. There's the ability to change circumstances. People are amazed when they encounter the living Jesus, the living word of God, because it has, he has authority. He can actually change things. He can actually change things. Have you ever met someone who's super, 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 don't, like, don't call anybody out. Super, super, super intelligent, super smart, but has no ability to change anything. <laughs> a person with intelligence without authority. Have you ever met someone who's been given authority, whether because their parents had authority or their positionally, maybe nepotism, has a lot of authority but no intelligence or no wisdom? We've all encountered that as well. Jesus is the wisdom, the logos of God, who has the ability to change everything. Wisdom and truth, power and authority all met in Jesus. So when we say we believe that the word of God is authoritative, we're talking about Jesus. He has authority. He has authority. Now, derivatively, 
he gives us his written word, which becomes our authority for then how we build things. Like if what we're doing at PFC doesn't match up with this, that's a problem. Because his authority flows through this, uh, through his written word. So this is the threefold word of God, Jesus, the scripture, and church witness. Um, the author, Jesus, has the authority of authorship, story authorship. Scripture is the inspired authority of the author, and the church witness, the gathered body of Christ, is the community of steady reflection and action participating in the story of the author. We're not like Gandalf. We actually exist. We're not like Gandalf. We're actually real. We have self-awareness. I know that I exist, not because I think Descartes was wrong. That's just like a tiny little fraction of human existence. We're not meat computers. Your mind is so much more than that. Your soul is so much more than just thinking. Like you're a person, a living spirit and soul. Jesus became like you. And you have authority and I have authority in so much as we are submitted in relationship like the Son to the Father, his authority entrusted to us because he actually lives in us through his Holy Spirit. And the word of God lives in us through his Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Logos of God. The Bible is the written word. The church is the word preached. I've read in my theological educational journey, I've read any number of books on hermeneutics and biblical interpretation. This one's my favorite. I had it in seminary. Introduction to Biblical Interpretation by Klein, Blomberg, and Hubbard. And talking about they, they have a really beautiful, nuanced discussion on authority and the word of God. And they say this, the Bible is authoritative and true. Being divine revelation through which God speaks, the Bible possesses ultimate authority. For this reason, it must constitute the standard for all human belief and behavior because it speaks truthfully about who we are and how we are to live so that rejecting the intent of the Bible means rejecting the will of God. What God says must be true, for God cannot lie, nor will, he mis be mis nor will he mislead. In other words, what we're building in our lives, whether it's collectively in a church like this or individually or in our families, we build upon the word of God. We build upon his authority that flows through his word and comes to us. And we, we have to check our beliefs through that. This is from a document from the Brethren in Christ, which we're duly affiliated with. Dave showed me this this week, and I thought it was really good. They have ten statements about what we believe about the Bible. Here's a few of them about the authority of the Word of God that I fully endorse. We believe the Bible, as composed of the Old Testament, 39 books, and the New Testament, 27 books, is divinely inspired, authoritative Word of God. We believe that the Bible as God's Word is our final authority for faith and practice, um, how I feel on any given day is not the final authority. Um, what, what, what's the final authority? Like what this reveals about who God is is the final authority for faith and practice. As Chris, uh, Christ followers, we commit ourselves to studying it together and building our lives on his truth. We believe that Jesus Christ, amen and amen, is the fullest revelation of God. You can't get more full than the revelation of Jesus. We don't lack anything. There's nothing we need to wait for. We already know fully who God is because we know Jesus. We believe that Jesus Christ is the fullest revelation of God and is central to our understanding and interpretation of Scripture. We believe in the importance of determining the author's primary purpose. They're talking about the individual authors, the human authors like Paul and John and Peter. 
I think this statement can also mean the author, capital A. Like when we approach the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, we should be reading it with what does God want to say? <laughs> what is the Lord, the living word? What is Jesus? What's his primary purpose? We study the cultural setting, the literary genre, and, uh, to interpret the Bible. We believe that the Christian community, as informed by Christian tradition, is the most reliable context for the study and understanding of Scripture. In other words, what we learn together is so much richer and truer and fuller in the manifestation of God's Spirit among us than me just going into my study alone, uh, studying this thing. You will teach me things. You will teach one another, and I will teach you things. As we walk together in relationship, it is in a community that we learn and are informed by this. And we believe that diligent and prayerful study illuminated by the Holy Spirit and accompanied by an attitude of humility, key, attitude of humility. Whenever we are handling the word of God, an attitude of humility and faith are fundamental in determining the heart of God in scripture. Here are a few things as I wrap up that the Bible uh, talks about itself, that the word of God talks about itself. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid uh, bare before his eye, the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is actually 2 Timothy. I accidentally put 1 Timothy on the screen, but it's 2 Timothy. But as for you, verse 14, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to his spiritual son, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from intimacy, infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. He's talking about the Hebrew Scriptures. The New Testament doesn't exist when Paul writes this. But this applies to us today and all of the Scriptures. How from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, let's read this out loud, verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Just from these two passages, we learn that Jesus' word, the word of God, is a, it's alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It, it goes down, it, it reveals everything in our hearts when we come before it. Um, we learn that it is God-breathed, inspired by God, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that we as the people of God may be equipped for every good work. Do you know the author? Do you know the author? Like the word of God as the author, Jesus, do you know him? The volition he wants to give you in your own life to walk with him is predicated. The authority that he wants to entrust to you in your own life is predicated and built upon knowledge and relationship to the author. You can know as much as you can know about him, but if you don't know him, if you don't submit to him, if you don't worship him, then his authority won't flow through you because he's not telling the story, which is why I asked this next question. Does the author have authorship in your story? Is he writing your story? Do you wake up in the morning and say, write my story, author. Tell my story today. Be the one who tells the story of my life. Today, you are the author. 
you are the perfecter. Worship team, you can come on up. Is your story conforming to the story that the author is telling? Or are you trying to tell your own story? I don't know about you, but I'm pretty good at trying to fit my story into his story and convince him that my story fits with his story pretty well. Have you ever done that? Like, I know, like what I'm doing here, like that fits your story, God. He has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. This is your story. It's not my story. God, would you tell your story? Father, thank you for the authority that you put in your word, (laughs) Jesus, the word of God made flesh. Thank you that when you became flesh, you maintained your authority, that you continued to write the story. No one took your life from you. You chose the cross. You laid down your life on your own, and you continued to tell that story by appearing to your disciples in your resurrection glory, and then ascending to the Father, and then you continued to tell that story by sitting at the right hand of the Father, and then you continued to tell that story by sending your Holy Spirit to indwell the people of God, that we would become living tabernacles. The Word became flesh and tabernacled. Now we are the tabernacle of God, as the Spirit of God dwells in us and continues to author the story of the authority of God. In a culture that has rejected authority outright, may we be a people who flow in the authority of Jesus Christ. Not that we would have power, that's not what this is about, but that we would love one another as you have loved us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.